This is a Career Channel program from UC San Diego Extension. Visit us at www.uctv.tv careers for videos, employment news, and trend articles to help recent college graduates and grads in career transition bridge to better employment. UC San Diego is committed uh, to professional development of its alumni and community. We want to see our graduates go on to be um, some of the most successful individuals, not just in San Diego, but across the country. And in order for that to happen, both from Extension and UC San Diego uh, at Central Campus, we really wanted to make sure you were connected with the resources that empower you to make that happen. I'm excited today. Um, Henry DeVries is going to be leading a conversation um, around uh, what it looks like um, to, to manage and, and lead your career. Um, Henry is a past president of the Alumni Association. He's an alumnus, first and foremost, past president of the Alumni Association. Um, He's a UT columnist and uh, the director of public outreach at UCSD Extension. So thank you so much, Henry, and I'll let you uh, introduce Phil. Thank you, Brandon. Well, I'm so happy today that we have Phil Blair with us. He's the author of the book, Job One. And for the last three decades, Phil has been the co-owner of Manpower San Diego, which is the largest manpower franchise in the country. Uh, I just found out that they're one of the top employers in the county responsible for hiring 3,500 people a day. Phil, welcome. Thank you. Why did you write a book called Job One? Well, it's been a long process. I've been living and breathing this hiring people and letting people go and reviewing resumes and and, uh, interviewing and and all this process that it takes to get a job. And in any difficult job market, people would come to Manpower because that's what we do all day is hire people um, and ask, how do I get a job? What am I doing wrong? And after repeating it over and over, finally my PR company said, write it into a book and put it all down because it's the same today, it will be the same in five years, and I wish it had been out 10 years ago to share with people. Great. What's your number one tip for people who want to get a job or move up in their career? Well, two. One is take responsibility for your own career. Take responsibility for getting your own jobs. There's no magical person out there that finds you or an applicant and finds a job opening and puts them together. It is work. And I tell people that are out of work and looking for a job, you have a job, and your job is to find the next job. And it's an eight-hour day. You get up, you shower, you shave, you work out, and you go to work finding that next job. It doesn't happen sitting in front of a computer. You know, I tell people, computers have never hired a single person. People hire people. So the other tip that, that everyone needs to know is 80% of jobs in this job market, which is getting much better than it was three or four years ago. In this job market, 80% of jobs are found through some level of networking. Right? And the first question people have, especially young people, is, well, I don't know anybody. I've been in school for four years. It's not who you know. It's who you know, who knows, who knows. What is LinkedIn all about? What is Facebook all about, right? You link, you link up with somebody, you get access to their group. They get access to your group. Use social media, but most importantly, get out there and meet people. Go to events like this. Congratulations for all of you being here. Go to job fairs. Go to association meetings. And the other thing I want people to know is they have to know what they're looking for. Way too often people sit in front of me and they've used a big chit of knowing somebody who knows somebody to get in front of me, right? It's a employee's friend or spouse. It's a customer's or more likely my wife's friend or spouse. Um, And I say, how can I help you? Now, they're typically very nervous, which is something we need to talk about. They're very nervous, right? So I say, well, how can I help you? I'll start the conversation here. You ask for the meeting, you ask for the date, but I'll start the conversation. And they say, well, I'm looking for a job. Well, I go, shucks, how how did I know that? And then I say, well, what kind of work are you looking for? And here's the sad part, because it really is so deflating. I don't know. 
Well, if you don't know what you're looking for, how can you ever find it? Right? So people have to know what they're looking for. And that's, so those are the key things that are really important for a successful job search. I was going to ask you, how do people find their dream job? I guess the real question is, how do people know what their dream job is? What, what advice would you have for people for well, that? I do a seminar every month. In fact, it's tomorrow morning. And what I tell people, and it's in job one, is what is your ideal job? Money doesn't matter, geography doesn't matter, family issues don't matter, education doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Dream. And my problem, Henry, is getting people to dream big enough, right? What is the ideal job that you would really love to have in your life? And the example I use is Matt Lauer's job at the Today Show, right? There's no reason I couldn't have that job, right? Everybody, right? No, 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 of course not. Maybe I'm not dreaming big enough. I'm just not even listening to my own thing. And I know if I get that job that Katie Couric will come back. I mean, it's just well known. If she hears I'm back, she'll come back. So it'll be a great hit for NBC, and they're on the slide down, so they need me. So, But the, the seminar is really, if that was my ideal job, to host the Today Show. Then I look at that job and think, what are the 20 increments to that job that makes it of interest to me. It's live TV. You're meeting fascinating people all the time. It's in a very vibrant city. I thrive on pressure. It motivates me. You know, some people it deflates. It's a motivator for me. So the pressure of being live and meeting fascinating new people every day and being prepared for whatever might come down the line is important to me. And then you, if you think about it, we would come up with 20 or 30 things about that job that is of interest to me. And then you look at those, those criteria of what made that job interesting. And if you pull those out, and what usually comes out of the seminar is motivational speaker, um, a politician, an anchor of a TV show, HR, human resources. Well, that's the path I did go down. I mean, in hindsight, everything's twenty twenty, right? But you can go through these things and find career paths so that when you're sitting in front of somebody like me, you're not saying, I don't know. You'll say, I'm, looking at, I'm thinking about something in the, in the news area, starting as a news person or an anchor. I'm thinking about something in the HR field, and I'm thinking about running for elected office. So now we can have a conversation where I might be able to help this person with some connections. But most importantly, I have a chance to ask them questions. They might go, I mean, I've been in in elected office. We talk about that, oh, that's not of interest to me at all. I thought it was a whole different area. And I tell people, write everything in pencil. Erase, erase, erase. What was I thinking? But you know, Mr. Blair gave me another idea. And you write that one in, and now you've got another path to go down. And so you're exploring all these paths, which we want you to have fun doing. This should be an exciting, fun thing. Don't think of it as drudgery. You're going to meet a lot of new and interesting people. You're going to learn about a lot of career paths. You're going to learn about a lot of companies. And have fun with it. And then you'll see all the pieces start to come together. And then you'll find the job that you really are excited about taking. So once you have the desire in mind, you know what job you desire... What tips do you have for networking to spread the word about that? Well, you start with what are called informational interviews. And those are, you call somebody and you want to meet with them for one of three reasons. I'm interested in your career, Henry. How did you get where you are? What would you do again and what would you recommend I not do? Number two might be, Henry, what's it like working at UCSD? I'm not interested in the extension. Just what's the company like? What's a large school? Would I be happier in a small private school? What would I want to do at UCSD? That interests me. And the third one is the, the field. What's it like working in education? Is that a good field? Would I fit in there? Would I... Maybe I should be a teacher. Maybe I should be a career counselor. Maybe I should be an administrator. So you're asking either about the person's specific career of their own, you're asking about their industry, or you're asking about their company. And that just opens all sorts of conversations. 
And when you set up an informational interview, I mean, the first thing is, I know you don't have a job opening, but I'm really interested in one of these three things. Can you share a little bit of time with me? You'll be so surprised how often people will say yes. And if they say no, what have you lost, right? Bigger and better people will say no to all of us. You have nothing to lose. But you'll be amazed how often people want to help other people, especially starting out in a career or or needing to change a career. So those conversations lead to, well, our company's looking for someone like that. Or let me walk you down the hall to the finance department because he's a good friend of mine and you ought to be talking to him instead of me. So it opens all sorts of doors that you don't know where that networking path is going to lead you. Let's talk about mistakes people make because I've been on the other end of those informational interviews and I've noticed many times they never make one note. They never write one thing down. Um, What are some things that you see that they should be doing differently? Well, first of all, I tell people, you're not moving into my office, okay? So don't bring, for women, one of these big pieces of luggage you call purses and a notebook, and a cell phone in your hand, and when you interview or meet with me, my, my assistant will offer you water or coffee or soda or something, so a lot of times people will take that. And I make a point of going out to the lobby to greet them instead of my assistant bringing them to me for the reason I want to see how they react quickly when I walk up and say, Hi, I'm Phil Blair. Half the time, there's some level of explosion that goes on, <laughs> right? Because all this stuff is in their lap, and they drop something, and, or something falls off, or they pick something up and then drop it. Are you messing with people, Phil? <laughs> Every step of interaction from calling for that appointment with me is part of the interview process. And don't take any step of it lightly. If I call you to follow up, I'm going to listen to your phone mannerism, how well you enunciate, how well you carry on a conversation on the phone. I'm going to pay attention to your voicemail message if I perchance get that, which will be unfortunate because I'm probably not going to call back. But if it's anything cutesy like, hey, for a good time, you got the right place, I'm up for anything, leave a message. Yeah, I'm going to hang up and not leave a message. If you're not bright enough to have your voicemail when you're in the job search be professional, then we've got a problem. Don't give me your home number. I don't want your roommate to answer. I don't want your three-year-old child to answer and go, I don't know where daddy is. He left the house. Because I'm not going to make an effort to seek you out again. You've got like a token effort. You control your cell phone, right? You answer it as professionally as you possibly can because you never know who's going to be returning your call in a job search. So that is equally important. It's equally important that first few seconds, and this is why I tell people, you need a notebook to take notes. And that's about all you need, folks. I don't think you need your cell phone out because you're not going to be calling people during the interview, are you? And God forbid you're not going to be answering a phone call during the interview. So leave it in your pocket so you don't have that tendency to drop stuff. First impressions At any time, but especially in the job search, I give you five to seven seconds, and then I've pretty much locked in my impression of you. Then I give myself another 15 to 25 seconds after that to sort of go, well, I sort of jumped to a conclusion. They're sharper than I thought they initially were when they dropped their phone and spilled the water. Or I lock in pretty sharp until they dropped the phone and the pen, not as sharp as I thought they were. Hmm. And then at that point, we go forward or I get out of it as fast as I possibly can, depending on the situation. But getting back to your question on note, bring a notebook, bring a pen, write down notes. I don't know if you're writing a note to yourself on the way home, buy bread, milk, and eggs. 
All I know is you were respectful enough that something I said you wanted to write down and keep. It's a sign of respect, and it's a sign that you're taking our time together seriously. You walk in with no pen, no note, and just, I'm here to talk about I need a job, and I don't know what I want to do. Think how much energy I'm going to put into that conversation. My secretary and I have a code, and when I give the code, that means interrupt me and get me out of this as fast as you possibly can. No, I'm not telling you what the code is, because I might see you. But just know this is going on. You're taking someone's very valuable time and make it very productive for you. Be selfish. You want it to be productive. Come in with questions you want to ask. Do the research on the company. Do research on their career so it makes sense, and you've proved to me you've put some energy into this interaction. And then I will meet you more than halfway. But if you don't show me that, the code will go out. You had another great networking tip about being in school, either on an undergraduate level or a continuing education level, and what you need to do to network in that situation. Could you share that? Well, it's important that that the audience know that as an employer, I start looking at your resume in high school. Because I want to know how productive and energetic a person you are. By the time you're in college, in high school I'm interested in it. By college, it's mandatory. I'm going to ask you what you do during your summer breaks, Christmas breaks. You tell me, surf's up. I live in San Diego. I go surfing every day in the summer. Work on my, one guy said, I work on my tan. It's great, isn't it? My golf handicap went down two, you know, two strokes because of what in the summertime. I want you to know that what's going through my mind is let me tell you about the candidate for this job before you and the one after you. They did internships all summer long in the field that they were interested in. They did volunteer work in the field they thought they would go to work in. They did job shadowing and all sorts of other things that showed me they were a hard worker, productive, and used their time to their benefit. So if I'm sitting here that night after interviewing eight people, and this one I remember, yeah, the thing I remember about him is he was proud of his tan and his surfing, and this is the one that volunteered and did unpaid internships just to get a chance to work at that company. Which one would you hire? And it's important that students hear this while they're in school, not after graduation, and they go, dang, it's too late. Well, it is too late. And that's really why I wrote the book, is it's important in job one that you get the message, this is what HR is thinking. And if as, in a, as a professional HR person, if we don't tell you what we look for and what our expectations are, then shame on us. We will keep interviewing 30 people to hire two. But my goal is to tee up every applicant, students through older workers re-entering the workforce, that in HR, I have to interview five people that I can't decide between for those two jobs. So it makes my job much easier. Now, the book, that was interesting. I noticed the subtitle was 500,000 Hires and Counting. So maybe you could explain what is manpower and why do you hire all these people? Manpower is one of the largest employers in the world. We're in 85 countries. Mel Katz, my business partner, and I own franchises of, of Manpower. So we have 3,400 and some employees out working right now as we sit here and hire about 15,000 people a year. It's a temporary help firm. 42% of our temporary placements turn into permanent jobs. If you're out looking for work, 
go to the temporary help industry. You can tell them what companies you want to go to work for, and they will place you in your field of expertise, of course. I mean, that, we need people in the finance department at a large company. We're going to hire finance graduates and accounting graduates. What did you do in your summer? I worked in a, the finance department at so-and-so through manpower. That is great use of your time. And if the chances are 42% of getting a permanent job offer from our customers, more power to you. You almost have a 50-50 chance. We happen to be the largest. We happen to be the best and the highest quality and, of course, all the given. But there, I probably have 100 competitors out there in, in San Diego alone. Go to that industry and use us to further your career. It's a great resource and it's a wonderful way to get exposure um, to a business. Another point about why temporary help is so good, if through networking or through a temporary help, if someone walks your resume down the hall to HR and says, here's somebody I think you ought to consider for that accounting job, you have seven times the chance of getting that job. A 700% increase. Because in HR, if somebody from the finance department walks down the hall and says, here's somebody I know that would be good for our opening, her reputation is on the line too. Because she referred me for the job. She knows the corporate culture. She knows what the boss look is like, what the working conditions are like. And if she refers me for the job, HR is going to go bring this person in. Because you just made my job a whole lot easier. So that's the ideal of this networking. Is to find, <clears throat> if you wanted to go to work at Qualcomm, find somebody, anybody that works at Qualcomm. Ideally in the departments you're interested in, finance or marketing or research or engineering, and get them to walk that resume down to HR. That, that is victory. I tell you in life, anything that can increase your chance of 700%, go for it. And that's what you want to make happen. Now you brought up resumes. Let's talk resumes for a minute. What advice do you have for preparing a resume? Every word on a resume should be, this is why you should hire me. Right? It's the first invite you have sent me to meet with you. Now, in many cases, it will go into the big black hole of monster or jobbing or something, right? But if you can get it in front of me, whichever way you can, and I'm, you know, submit resumes and all that, you know, do all that online stuff, but get that resume in front of me. The cover letter is saying, Mr. Blair, this is why I'm the right person for that specific job. There is never a generic resume. There is never a generic cover letter. I do a segment on KUSI every Monday morning, and a lady ranted and raved that she submitted her resume 2,000 times and has not gotten any callbacks. And I said, you rewrote your resume 2,000? No, it's the same resume. Well, you went for a receptionist job or a secretary job or a marketing job and you used the exact same resume? Your resume hits me over the head with why you're right for this job. If you're good at marketing and PR, let's say, you're going to have one resume for a marketing position and one for a PR position. You're going to downplay the marketing skills and experience you have for the PR job and play up the PR experience. Vice versa if you're going for a marketing job. Your resume, I should be able to look at the job opening you've, you're applying for and your resume and just tick off exactly what I'm looking for from my job description in your resume. Don't make me hunt for why you're the best candidate for this job. Hit me over the head with it. In job search, because of technology, keywords are very important. My AD recruiters use keyword searches all day long. They go through the job description from our customer. They pick out the four or five keywords in that job description, key them in, 
and resumes from our millions of resumes on online pop up. These resumes have the five words. These have four of them. These resumes have three of them. And then we sort of stop there. Okay. Networking worked. The resume worked. You're in the interview. What are your best interviewing tips? You have asked for this meeting, right? Right. I mean, I may have called and said, come in at two o'clock, but you asked to meet with me. My, my example before of a date, right? You ask me out. It is a conversation. Take control of the conversation. Remember, many of the interviews are going to be with business owners or department managers, not professional HR people. Know that they are probably more nervous than you are. Because HR is said, don't ask this, don't ask this, don't ask this, don't ask. Well, what can I ask? So then they start with, tell me about yourself, right? <laughs> okay. That doesn't mean I'm from Great Bend, Kansas, and I have one older brother, and I have a dog named Buffy. Every question in a resume, in an interview, is why are you the right candidate for this job? Why should I hire you? So the interview is a conversation. I want to get to know you. I want a relaxed person. This is not the inquisition. Right? It's not the Spanish where you sit there and go, oh, what are you going to ask me? You're going to try to ask me a hard question and I'll mess up and I'll be terrible. Relax. Have a conversation. Know what difficult interview questions are. Tell me about something you failed at. Tell me about a time you were fired. Tell me about you know, the behavioral interview questions, all these things. But if you've gone through all of these and practiced, if you have your 30-second elevator speech, the first question might be, Why are you interested in this position? Well, have practiced that. Have a really, really good answer and why your skill sets and what you studied in school and what I did on summer vacations and what I did in clubs I joined on campus leads me to this point and why I'm the right one for that job and why I'm interested in the job. This is not about you. This is not, well, the type of position I'm looking for is A. This is about me. This is about the skill sets I need to hire for my company. And I really don't care what you're looking for. And it sounds harsh, but that's the reality. I need someone that's going to make my company better. So tell me why you're going to help me do a better job against all my competitors. That's the reason I'm going to hire the person that I do select. So have that conversation. And once I know you've got the talents and the skills, then I want to know you're a nice person that I might want to walk down the hall and have lunch with. That's why I want personality to come out, smiles, laughing, little innuendos. I want to know you're a fun person that would be pleasant to have in our company. So those are all important, and that has to come out in the interview. How much research should you do before you have that interview? You should know more about my company than I do. I once had an interview with a salesperson. This is many, many years ago. And about five minutes into the interview, she said, by the way, what does manpower do? And I'm thinking, you're here for a sales job for a company you don't even know what the product is? I mean, that was the shortest interview. I said, we're going to give you a little learning experience here right now on your way out the door. You need to know why you're here in front of me because you're very interested in my company, in my industry, and in the job opening I'm interviewing you for. And convince me why that is. Comments in our conversation, because remember, a conversation, both of us have questions, right? I'm fascinated about the new product that you're going to introduce in Latin America. And when I lived in uh, my, my semester abroad in Peru, I found that Peruvians are really fascinated with this area. And I think it's a great idea that you're going to introduce the product there. And that's why I'm fascinated about this marketing position you have open for Latin America. I mean, you just told me, hopefully in there you speak Spanish, you've, you're majored in marketing, you've lived in South America. I mean, all these pieces are coming together that you're the right person. Don't walk out and go, I never told him I speak Spanish. I never told him I lived in Peru. I never told him 
that I did a marketing semester abroad, right? Your job is, here's five points I want to make in this interview. And if, as the interviewer, I don't ask the right question to tee it up, then you tee it up. But walk out knowing I gave it my best shot, right? I didn't walk out going, well, he didn't ask me about speaking Spanish. He didn't ask me about that. Well, that's your fault. And take responsibility for it. it Everybody says, oh, I hate sales. I don't want to do sales. Other people, well, I don't like public speaking. I don't want to ever be an actor. In an interview, you are doing sales, right? And who's the product? You are. And you're acting a role. You're acting the role of the successful candidate with great confidence, great humility, that you hide because you're going to be talking about, I'm really good at this. I'm passionate about this industry. And I'm passionate about your, your, your segment of this market. And that's why I'm excited about going to work at this company. And tell me I want the job. The number of candidates that walk out and we go, well, I wonder if they really wanted the job or not. They never said so. At the end of the interview, say, and Mr. Blair, I really want this job. This is exactly the type of company I want to work for, in the industry I want to work for, and I want to stay here in San Diego, but I'm interested during my career for an international assignment, which I know your company does, and I would be honored to be offered this job. So now I know you want it. If in the interview you don't know if you want it or not, because that does happen, say you want it. You can always say, no, thank you. But don't walk out going, I, no, this job isn't right for me, so I'm going to leave. Don't ever do that, right? Because especially you walk down the hall and go, why, why did I say that? That was wrong. Phil, let's sum it up. If there was one main message you wanted people to take away from your book, Job One, what would it be? Henry, it would be that we all have a career manager. We all have somebody that watches out for that first job that we get and manages us through our entire 20, 30, 50 years of working. And that career manager is us. We have to take responsibility for our career. Your career manager is not getting you just that first job, but they're going to tell you when it's time to change jobs. Maybe within the company, maybe within the department, maybe within the city, maybe a different company in the same industry. The average permanent job in, San, in America now is slightly over three years. Either the company is no longer going to need your skills or you're no longer going to be satisfied at the job you're in and at the company you're in and you're going to start your own job search to move on to another new challenge. And I encourage you to do that before you get stale at this company and they allow you to go forth and do a job search, right? I want you to control the situation. If you're not happy, do something about it. Talk to the manager of the department, talk to the owner of the company. If you want to stay with the company but you don't like the department in, change departments and build your resume as you go. If you want to be that CEO, then you're going to have to spend some time in the marketing department, some time in the sales department, some time in the finance department, some time international. So when they look for the well-rounded employee, you have all the pieces that company. Now, I didn't say all that was at the same company. If, you're to, if you know you need international experience and your company is only in San Diego and is never going to give you international experience, then it's your job to leave that company and go to a job that will send you to Europe or to South America or to China to get experience on the international front. So when it comes time to get that big job you really want, you can tick off all the projects you have done and all the experience you have. And that's important to managing your career. So it's not just get that first job. It's know when to leave, know when to go to another industry, go to another department, another city. Know that you may have to leave San Diego for three or four years or ten years, but your goal is to get back here. I mean, we're spoiled by living here. 
But decide what you want to do. Don't let your career guide you. And you turn around 30 years later and go, why am I still in the accounting department at ABC Company? I didn't like this job the first week I was here. In fact, why did I major in accounting? I didn't like it when I took the first class. Maybe you need other help then. I need a lot of help, yes. <laughs> well, you've given us a lot, a of, lot help. of help. Let's have a nice round of applause. Thank you. Phil Blair. Mm-hmm. Well, Phil, we have questions from the audience we wanted to share with you. The first one is, if you're a veteran returning to the workforce, what advice would you have for them? It's important, Henry, that they realize they are really leaving one entire lifestyle and culture and entering another one. And I'll start with resumes. The, the resume of five or 25 years in the Navy, if you submit that to me, it is like it's in a foreign language. I don't understand a single word that's on that resume. And if you keep submitting it, it's going to be delete, delete, delete. You need to rewrite that resume in my language. It's just as if it was in Arabic, and you need to translate it into English. I need to know what skill sets you've developed that the private sector can use. And a mistake is, well, I'm a leader of men, teamwork, I'm devoted and dependable. Well, everybody says that. There are wonderful skill sets that the military has, but you have to translate them into my language so that I can appreciate them. Well, here's a question. Can you talk about social media in the job hunt, specifically LinkedIn? Are you a fan? Well, I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. Um, the way I would use it, and Facebook to a less, obviously, professional area, is when you, let, let's use the example, um, Northrop Grumman, major defense industry here in San Diego. If you see a job opening at Northrop Grumman and you've just talked about, I don't know anybody in Northrop Grumman, well, maybe you know somebody who does know somebody. Send a note out. Does anybody in my segment here of Facebook or LinkedIn know anybody that works at Northrop Grumman? I'm interested in a job position there and I'd like to talk to somebody that works there. It's a very appropriate approach. And somebody goes, hey, my wife works there. Let me put you in touch with her. Same with Facebook. While we're talking about Facebook, clean up your Facebook page. In HR, we can't ask age, we can't ask ethnicity, we can't ask married, we can't, you know, all these questions we can't ask. But if I'm down to three candidates, if you don't think I'm going to LinkedIn page and your Facebook page, then you're misled. I don't care how great spring break was in Cancun two years ago and how many fabulous pictures you put up there with the bong. Remove all those. That's not the sort of person I'm looking to hire. Picture with a big stogie at a basketball game? No. I want a professional person in a suit, or from an advertising department in something that's appropriate wear. Don't make me wonder if you're weird. <laughs> right? Because I do that. We're all human beings, right? We're like psychologists trying to read into your persona. Because we get fired too. We don't hire the right people, or we don't recommend the right people to the other departments. We get fired. And I don't want to be fired. So I make safe decisions. And the student in the pool with 800 other people smashed with the bunk is not a good choice for me. Because I never know when that's going to pop out again. So remove all those pictures. You want to put them back on after I hire you? That's your choice. But I would recommend you don't do that either. Because if I'm going to promote you or move you, I might go back to your Facebook page. Here's a question about dream job. So let's say you have that dream job, but your background, your experience, your education doesn't line up. What should you do? Well, first of all, the the dream job that we talked about is, is in most cases, completely impractical, right? It's, It's 
But it's the guide where you want to go. If you got through school with a major focus of studying that is not right for you now, well, then we need to make it right. We need to go back to the extension. We need to get our MBA or our master's in that area. It's time to fine-tune it. That's why I have a chapter in Job 1. I want to get the high school kids to start thinking careers so they pick a college or university that's right for their career plan. Now, they may change their mind 10 times, but at least they're going toward the right direction. And then in school, whether it be community college or four-year, I want students to have an idea of what they want to do so they take the right courses, they go to the right clubs, they go to the right seminars to expose themselves to that career path. So you're working toward it. My, a lot of my friends say, you know, Phil, if, if NBC called, would you really take host of the Today Show? Oof, I think I would. But boy, would it be disruptive in my life. Cause, but I think I would just because I've talked about it for five years, so now I'm going to put up. But I don't think I have to worry about it. Well, we've talked a lot about just getting out of college and getting a career early on in your career. What about mid-level career people? Um, are employers bringing mid-career workers into their companies? Oh, they are. Um, remember, if, they, if it works both ways. If the typical perm job is a little over three years, that means companies are churning their employees. And what it is, is at our, at our company, there are certain skill sets I need for the next three two, three, five years. So I hired that skill set now. All once my company focus or my clients take a turn to the left and I no longer need these skill sets, then I'm going to have to find people that do have those skill sets. And I want experienced people. Other crowds I talk to, it's not really a plus to be with one company for 25 or 30 years anymore. That, in the old days, it was. But if I'm hiring an employee, I would like them to have a four or five years experience at IBM and four or five years experience working for UCSD in the marketing and three or four years experience working somewhere else so that they bring this amalgamation of exposure and companies and departments to me and that whole talent set. If they've been working in... Chevron finance department for 18 years, that's all they know. And that's going to be a problem for me unless I want 18 years of the exact same experience. Okay. Now, what about if you're changing careers? How do you do that without having to lower your salary too much? You know, take the big cut in pay. What advice do you have for Well, there's, there's sort of two steps in, in the, the nomenclature. One is changing jobs. I'm an accountant at Qualcomm, and I want to be an accountant at Chevron. Right? I changed jobs. Changing careers, which you do tend to f- step back a little bit, is I'm an accountant at Qualcomm, and I want to be in the marketing department at Chevron. So I can't move over as a senior VP of marketing when I've been in accounting all the time. I might have to go down a few steps to go back up the career path. But I want to tell you, if I'm unhappy in accounting, do something about it. Our jobs, and it used to be much more men than women, but you've all, it's, we're one big bunch now. Our jobs are where we put our egos, our personalities, our values our self-image is it the right thing to do no but we do it we need to be happy at what we do we need to do be challenged we need to enjoy the people we're around we need to want to go to work every morning we spend a lot of time of our waking hours working and thinking about it if you're not happy if you're bored it's going to affect your home life it's going to affect your health it's going to affect your friendships you're not going to be a happy person. And I want everybody to be happy. It's more important, I tell people, that you love what you do 
then you worry about maximizing your earnings. I'm convinced money doesn't make you happy. It can be wonderful icing on the top of happy, believe me. But the code is, do you wake up in the morning happy to go to work? I'm anxious to go to work. I love what I do. I'm in the top 10% of people in America that love what they do. The next 40% of people like what they do, and they like who they work with, and they're challenged. Then the next 40% is, oh, no, it's only Wednesday. And then the bottom 10% are miserable. They're like, let me take this coffee cup and stick it through my heart rather than go to work. So my goal is take that bottom 10 and get them into that 40, get that 40 into the next 40. And I would love all of us to be in that top 10% that they absolutely love what they do. They're challenged, they're excited, they're well compensated, and they love what they do. Let's say you've been out of the job market, maybe for five years for family reasons, maybe a mom raising kids, and now you decide to get back in. Uh, What advice do you have about that employment gap you've just had? Do you address it in the resume? Do you address it in the interview? How should they handle that? First of all, no gaps on resumes. Because if you tell me everything you've been doing for the last 12 years, except 2006 to 2011 is a gap, right? Or the last five years have been a gap. Let me tell you, fair or not, I'm going to assume drugs, alcohol, or prison. (laughs) Otherwise, why wouldn't you have told me? Right? Now, it can be in the cover letter. Some people read the resume, and if they're interested, read the cover letter. Some people read the cover letter, and if they're interested, read the resume. I'm a resume guy, and then go to the cover letter. It is very appropriate to say between 2001 and 2006, um, stay-at-home parent until children entered elementary school. Okay. That's not a bad thing for guys or gals. Because many times HR is going, I wish I could have done that. I admire them for doing that. They really have put their priorities in line in my mind. So it's not a negative, but tell me what it is. It's the same thing also as I tell high school kids and college kids to build your resume. Well, you were home with the kids for five years. That's great. But what else did you do? It didn't take 100% of your time. Well, I had online courses and I got my master's in so That was exactly what my wife did. She got her master's in psychology while she was a stay-at-home mom with, with our sons. I did a ton of volunteer work. I did all of these things. I used my time productively. And if there's a question in here, which I usually get, is, well, I really haven't worked. All I've done is volunteer work. Well, sell me on volunteer work. I was president of the Junior League, and we led 1,200 women, and da-da-da-da-da-da. It is harder to be a leader in the volunteer world because you're herding cats than it is in the business world where you can walk out to your department and go, okay, all 20 of you stand up and come this way, right? So play that up. I mean, I can spend a half hour, an hour, read the book, and I can show you how volunteer work is as important to me as an employer as somebody who's had job experience. It's the same if you've had a drug problem, if you've had an alcohol problem, With the right coaching, I can show you how you'll be a better employee for me because you've lived through that experience and what you've learned from it. So don't let those, don't let those feel like it's knocking you out of the the game. We started with being a mom. Now I'm going to go to something in the book about what if it was something really horrible like you've been in prison? How do you, of course, drugs, alcohol, and prison, sort of like being a mom. Um, How would you address... (laughs) How would you address that if you had something really bad on the resume? You acknowledge it. You tell me up front about it. You explain it. I got in with some, a group of friends, and they, I followed them down the wrong path. Don't say it was their fault they did this to me. You take responsibility. I let them lead me down the wrong path. I made some poor decisions. But let me tell you what I've learned from that. 
Let me tell you what I've done about it, how I've turned my life around, and how I can prove to you I have succeeded in doing that. And from that experience, I am a stronger employee. I appreciate this job more than anybody else will. And I will work my butt off for you. You're hired. Whoa, exactly. (laughs) You know, because the other kid before you surfed all summer, right? Or the other one before that played golf all summer, right? You just sold me while you're the one for the job. One more question. Let's say you're in a job and you're not happy, so you want to change career. What advice do you have on how you can do that while still being employed? The first thing to keep in mind is you owe your current employer the full hours they are paying you for. Don't call in sick because you have an interview. Don't pretend you ran out of gas and they're still paying you while you're interviewing for other jobs. That is not fair. But you have lunch breaks, you have weekends, you have after work to do job search. There are often very understanding supervisors that you can sit down with Henry and say, I just, I don't think we're a good match right now. And the supervisor, oh, thank heavens you said that because I thought I was going to have to bring it up to you. I'm going to give you my full attention for this job, but I just want you to know I'm going to be searching. And you do that in case word gets out you're searching, because there are some supervisors that said, if you had told me, I would have said no problem. But my boss came and told me that he heard you were searching, interviewing at another company, and now I've got to let you go. Because you're no longer loyal to the company. So manage that process. When you're interviewing or doing an informational interview, tell the person you're currently working and it's important that you give full value to your current employer because they will respect you for that. And that's why we might need to meet at lunch. And let me bring in a couple sandwiches and we'll talk at your desk over lunch. Or can we meet at your office at 515 Because now they understand why that is, that they need to do it. Don't downplay your boss. Because if you're interviewing with me and say, well, my boss was an irritable son of a gun and he didn't know what he was doing and I could have run this thing black. I'm going to sit here and think, you know, in a year or two or three years, you're going to be saying that about me. And if you got that big a mouth, I don't want to hire you. Be very diplomatic when you talk about why you want to leave your job and, and explain it in ways that I would understand. One last tip to leave us with? Network, network, network. And pay it forward. If you hear about a job opening that's not right for you, email it to everybody you know. You should know the people at your table. If you're all here At some point, you're interested in getting a job, changing jobs, deciding on a career path. Talk to each other. Know what they're looking for. Have a 30-second elevator speech. Meet somebody on the elevator and say, Henry, how are you doing? And you say, oh, fine. Everything's great. Well, if Henry's out of work and looking for a job and he didn't use this opportunity to network with me, the answer should be, hey, I'm doing great, I'm in a job search and I'm looking for a job and the blah, 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 blah. And I go, well, Henry. Call me. Here's my card. We're looking for somebody like that. Tell the world the job you're looking for. That's how you're going to find the perfect opening that will move you to that top 10%. Thank you for sharing these wonderful tips today, Phil. Let's have a nice round of applause. You're welcome. Phil Blair.